one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I am having a very unusually exciting week, given how, uh, I don't know, the last year has gone. Now, since last Wednesday's episode, I've previewed Avengers Campus, visited on opening day, flown to Florida, and am about to ride Velocicoaster. Yes, strangely, this episode is coming out about an hour or two before I am physically in the seat of this beast of a coaster. As I said last week, it's a real trip to have started this podcast mid-pandemic, which was never the plan, by the way. This thing was in the works well before the world shut down and done all these other episodes while I wasn't in the parks to now be back at them for a summer opening just like old times. It's way too much for my feeble brain to process, but my main takeaway from returning regularly to theme parks and running into everyone I know is that I can no longer make eye contact. I can't do it. It feels creepy to be not staring at people on a screen, but see them in real life and looking right into their peepers. I just can't, I can't handle it. I just end up looking straight ahead, just at a weird angle, and people probably think I'm avoiding them. But, you know, we'll work on it. We're all out here doing our best in a new sort of world. Anyway, this week, as you now know, is all about Universal Orlando Resort's Velocicoaster. Putting this out at the same time I'm going to ride it is like kind of like playing that Rocky montage, only I'm not running upstairs, but just running directly to a roller coaster I am absolutely terrified of. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be brave. But just know that while you listen to this, this is all fully going down in real time. So with the spirit of Florian Fortescue ice cream soaring through through my veins, as I'm sure it will be because it's my preferred universal breakfast. Let's get to dishing about this unfathomable new coaster. Stick around, that's right up next. It's new ride season, baby! The earth is healing, which means I apparently need to fling myself to the tippy top of a 155-foot high coaster track to celebrate it. People have been talking about this Raptor-inspired ride since it soft opened earlier this year, and for good reason. While Universal Orlando Resort and Disney World go back and forth in trying to best each other with immersive lands and grandiose storytelling while flying on the back of a banshee or while plopped in a motorcycle sidecar, Velocicoaster is a new kind of entry that doesn't quite compare. This ride actually puts Universal in its own league, mixing themed experiences with absolutely jaw-dropping thrills to an entirely new level. That's why I was so thrilled to speak with Shelby Honey, a show producer for Universal Creative, who spent years making this bombastic ride a reality. As you'll soon hear, Velocicoaster is set just before Jurassic World, the first film in the newer trilogy that concludes with Jurassic World Dominion, dropping exactly one year to the day from when this coaster officially opens to the public. If you haven't seen the Jurassic World films, no worries. All you need to know is that Claire Deering, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, is a hardworking employee of a theme park resort that keeps pushing the envelope for more, more, more to excite its guests. It's quite an interesting parallel to Universal itself, who is breaking boundaries with this new coaster that solidifies it as the place to go for a mix of themed experiences and stomach-dropping-to-your-feet kinds of thrills. I mean, this coaster is literally set within a raptor paddock, but the looming threat of dinosaurs isn't even what's so impressive about this ride. There's this one turn over a public 
walkway called the Mosasaurus Roll, which, woo, is a doozy even in photographs. But this thing reaches a max speed of 70 miles an hour, has two launches, four inversions, a 155-foot top hat, a 140-foot drop at eight degrees, an inverted zero-gravity stall. I'm nervous all over again. And it ends up that's kind of the point. As you'll soon hear, this ride was specifically designed to scare you and your natural anxieties. And the decision to make seat restraints not go over your head but over your waist was intentional. This coaster is wild. I'm going to go slowly breathe and mentally prepare to ride this bad boy. So for now, here's Shelby and I chatting all things Velocicoaster. I can't wait to talk about Velocicoaster. Me too. I've been very much looking forward to this interview. (laughs) I would love if you could just introduce yourself and what you do, because if I explain it, I'm going to do a garbage job of it. Well, uh, as show producer here at Universal Creative, supporting Jurassic World Velocicoaster, I uh, really had the privilege of starting with this project on day one, all the way through to these guest previews. So I got to see the whole journey uh, come together. I also got to help build the creative team and help define the first creative intent and the story in partnership with uh, our great filmmakers, as well as the rest of Universal Creative. And day to day, uh, I'm the remover of obstacles to the creative team and helping make sure that the beautiful drawing and the beautiful thing we created all those years ago is translated beautifully out into the field for our guests. Wow. So if you were working on Velocicoaster start to finish, how long is that process? A many year process. And uh, I think, you know, long before, uh, you know, the watchful eyes of like seeing this beautiful coaster emerge from the ground, of course, many months of planning go into it. Um, a lot of alignment with our stakeholders, with our filmmakers. Uh, so before you even see uh, the first construction crane, we've been working on it for a great period of time. Oh, my goodness. And I guess we can just kind of walk through the experience start to finish, because I would love to know, like, when you're starting the idea of a ride like this, do you start with, like, kind of the characters you want, the story you want, or do you start from roller coaster and then work your way back? Like, what comes first Chicken or the egg, dinosaur egg edition. <laughs> I, uh, absolutely. Uh, well, with this one, uh, to keep the metaphor going, a lot about the DNA. We had to look at the strand and what we wanted. And of course, our DNA happened to be thrills, beautiful environment, and of course, the Jurassic World dinosaurs. So for us, we really led with the thrill. We led with this really unique site that we had at Velocicoaster, some beautiful adjacencies. We've got the lagoon right there. We've got 20 years of of lush natural growth. So really all of those things kind of being balanced and and creating uh, what became the DNA of Velocicoaster. So for uh, a guest entering the attraction, uh, we got to play in the world of Jurassic World. Uh, This uh, attraction takes place shortly before the events of the first film. We know that resort operation manager Claire Deering is under a lot of pressure to add more teeth to Jurassic World. So we played around with that idea a little bit and created this carnivore uh, expansion timeline. So she, uh, obviously, the Indominus Rex is in development, but she needs more teeth in the park pronto. So this attraction is first and foremost, a research facility for the raptors. It is fortified for huge animals like the velociraptors. You can see the wear and tear on the building, and then it's been retrofit with this coaster. So as you enter the attraction, you're getting the kind of 
first blush corporate safety Jurassic World, enjoy your day Jurassic World, and then playing with the natural anxieties of the coaster as you're going through uh, the attraction. It's just getting a little bit darker, a little bit scarier. You're coming face to face with raptors. And then by the time you see uh, the beautiful paddock and the beautiful outdoors, you're strapped in to a 70 mile per hour coaster shooting in and out of the Velociraptor paddock. Oh my God. I know I've, I said before we started that I'm nervous about, I'm very excited to go on this ride. I'm nervous. And now I'm dumb and I'm like, oh my, 70 miles per hour. My body has not done that except in a car <laughs> since this pandemic began. Oh my God. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, it sounds incredible. Um, I do, I do want to ask. So when you're on board the ride. Are you moving like a raptor? Are you uh, are you just mimicking the movement? Is Where does the raptor specifically play into that part of the story? So again, very self-aware coaster. We kind of put ourselves right next to, of course, the gyrosphere, this really iconic ride that you got to see in the first Jurassic World film. So, you know, the Velocicoaster really is a coaster in the raptor paddock. So uh, as you're kind of lowering down uh, that lap bar, you're entering the first scene uh, is you about to be dispatched into the paddock. You've got the raptors on either side. They're coming out with you, and they know this paddock very well. They know this coaster very well. Uh, they're adaptable. Uh, they've got something in store for you. So I think uh, really it's just about the shark tank equivalent of Jurassic World coming face-to-face with the raptors. Um, but the experience, of course, is uh, as you're shot out into the paddock, uh, you're very disoriented. You don't know where you're going next because of this beautiful, huge paddock full of rock work. You're getting glimpses of raptor teeth, talon, tail, they're closing in on you. And just when it feels like they're a little bit too close, you rush out of the paddock and into the more uh, extreme uh, section of the coaster. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, my God. This sounds so good. Okay, so for you, you know, creating an attraction like this or working on a team that does how what was the experience like knowing that the film Jurassic World that it takes part in an amusement park were you just like this is embarrassment of riches like it had to have been so wonderful to just have those two ideas line up so perfectly there I think there's a reason of course and like uh with Jurassic the entire franchise and really the entire history of universal resorts around the world uh it is such a fun a story to play in for us. Again, it's it the the meta nature and how you get to play with all the tropes of theme park. We had so much fun with that, especially in the piece of media with uh, uh, Claire and Owen, uh, really, again, dissecting what it is to have a roller coaster inside a raptor paddock. Um, so no, it was super fun. And even fun little touches like having Mr. DNA make an appearance as our voice of the attraction and a safety uh, deliverer of the things that normally people just tone out. Of course, you've got Mr. DNA there. So really uh, a fun way to play. Uh, I wish we could design every ride in Jurassic World. <laughs> oh, I feel that. And just for clarification's sake, so if this ride is positioned before the first Jurassic World trilogy film. When the ride ends, is there any story that as a future rider I should know in terms of how it connects to the beginning of that film? Because I believe the coaster wouldn't exist in the film. I would say that off screen, the the greatest compliment we could get is, of course, from our filmmakers who do feel like this kind of exists as this off screen uh, piece of the Jurassic World canon. Um, But really, I think... uh, a good refresh of the Jurassic World film is great before uh, getting in our attraction, but I think you'll really get a sense of 
again, those characters and the time and place that we love so much from that first film. You get Charlie, Delta, Echo, Blue. We get to see them in their uh, the grooming stations, which are those muzzles uh, from the first film. We get Owen, we get Claire. And um, yeah, I think a little bit of everything exists on this attraction. So from like a fan perspective, if they're looking forward to riding Velocicoaster, they should be viewing it a bit as, oh, like I'm finally going to that place I saw in the movie. Oh, yeah. And and uh, again, I think you could say I feel like I've got quite a lot in common with Claire Deering. And that's why it was so fun to to ideate on this, because she's under pressure to add more teeth. And uh, you can definitely get a sense of her, uh, you know, there are other things in the works. The Indominus Rex is delayed. It ate its sister. There's a whole bunch going on with the Indominus Rex. And, uh, you know, the Velocicoaster is that first step of a lot on her plate. Are you able to at all walk me through, like, start to finish what the process of creating something like this is? Because seeing it from our end now, the finished product is shocking. <laughs> like, this, there's so much going on. There's so much to know. Like, like you said, you have the Mr. DNA element. You have that, like, the walkway that the coaster goes over. You have everyone posting photos of the queue. Like, everyone's so excited about queue elements. There's so much there. So, like, from the beginning, like, how do you even get to a final product like this? It's hard not to smile hearing you say that because we tried so hard to fit quite a lot. And when you think about even the tightness of the site uh, and, and some of our other considerations, I'm so grateful that people are picking up on all the little tiny details that we worked on so so closely and deliberately. But um, for us, early on, um, we kind of had a few guiding principles. Uh, we started, again, first and foremost with thrill, and we knew that this is going to be a high thrill attraction, and we didn't want anything to, to sacrifice the level of thrill. And that, again, I think is really evident by some of these great, like, first ever maneuvers that we have in this attraction uh, that are very, very unique. The Mosasaurus roll being my favorite, that final barrel roll over the water right before you pop into the brakes. And uh, our other principles that we kind of tried to balance were teeth, of course, the Jurassic franchise, uh, the fun uh, kind of ethos of the Jurassic, uh, is this a good idea, maybe not. And then the environment, the 20 years of beautiful growth, and also using the teeth and the environment to elevate even the thrill. So um, really, it was about balancing those things um, and trying to just work as quickly as we could to to define this intent and define the best guest experience uh, around those three things. So you're simultaneously figuring out what the actual coaster will have in it while you're figuring out the story. Oh, yes. In this case, for sure. And, and you know, even, you know, it's, it's all a give and take, right? And it's kind of the fun job of being the producer is trying to orchestrate and make sure that nothing is pulling more than it should. But the fact that we were able to put in as much story, this beautiful paddock full of rock work, these beautiful picturesque moments, these great multiple rafter moments, these multiple places that you come face to face with velociraptors on a 70 mile per hour coaster. Um, I think, you know, we, we did it. <laughs> How do you go about adding story to an attraction that moves so quickly? Because, you know, people can't process information as well when they're on a coaster like this <laughs> compared to, you know, a slow moving dark ride. So for, like from a storytelling perspective, how do you work around that? I think for us, it was uh, definitely a fun challenge and a challenge, and we were very ambitious with what we set out to do on this coaster. Um, it did make us, we had to be very, very strategic in our time with the guests and really use as much as we could of the queue time, knowing that the queue is when we do have a captive non-covering their faces um, 
uh, guests. So making sure that uh, we had these really compelling raptor moments. We have our raptor stable. We've got uh, our launch window where guests see the raptors chasing the vehicle and some of these other really cool moments. And then when you're out on the attraction, uh, we relied really heavily on pre-visualization and making sure we could kind of see as early as possible what a guest was going to see and make sure those moments that we had those opportunities to push the teeth, push the thrill, push the environment that we were absolutely doing that. I'd love if you can talk more about the pre-visualization, the space between ideating an attraction and then actually being able to ride it. What, What was that process like on your end, especially because it is something that's so deeply tied to this new trilogy? Yeah, it, it, it was very interesting. And I think for us, anything that can help us communicate the idea more clearly and more efficiently early always helps us because it helps us get this consensus and get support, you know, of our filmmakers, of uh, uh, the entire park, of, of everyone involved in this attraction. So really, we're always looking for those ways to show what is in our heads. And oftentimes that's beautiful concept art. Uh, and then oftentimes it is 3D visualization uh, and different ways to show truly what the guest experience will be. So for us, um, I'm very happy to say uh, that some of the early things that guests saw back when we did our first announcement uh, where it said like conceptual rendering, you know, what guests were seeing there was actually our animatic that we had been using for two years to develop the attraction. Wow. Oh my God. And you say two years. So if you're, I mean, if you're, you've been working on this for so long, what, when you're at a certain point, like what type of things are you tweaking? Because I have to assume once you, once you hit a top hat, like the one that you've designed, (laughs) you're kind of like, well, we don't, we don't have to mess with that so much. Like, like what kind of things are you tweaking along the way? Well, more so for us at a certain point, it becomes about um, kind of policing and making sure that everything that was designed ends up into the field. And there's always little field adjustments here and there. But really for us, it's just about that continuity all the way through. And the track, you know, the track was developed so early. And that was, of course, one of the very first things that was locked. And, um, but yeah, other than that, it's just working with our our team, working with the, the wider group to make sure that every detail from those original designs ended up out in the field faithfully. So um, yeah, it's a, a, a gratifying process and it does certainly take an army to make it happen. When you're working on an attraction like this, and like you said, start to finish, when you finally get to ride it, does it feel like you've been on it before? Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Yes. So the first time I rode this, it doesn't help that it was like very late and we were all kind of like, are we going to do it tonight? Is tonight the night? And uh, so we were all a little delirious, but we, um, I, I, it was this weird coaster deja vu moment because we knew every turn and we knew kind of like every feeling and we knew where the raptors were so it it was uh definitely coaster deja vu very surreal um probably no other feeling like it in the world and we all just kind of like of course this and i love guests sometimes have the same reaction but we like pull back in and we're just like staring at each other wide eyes like it's real it exists uh but yes it was very very cool to see and i think again uh the fact that it was so recognizable and so clearly this attraction that we had envisioned so early on, um, it just speaks a lot to uh, us and what we've been able to do and communicate to each other out in the field. Wow. I can't, I can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> it, it was wild. <laughs> it's like if you played a board game and then, I mean, I don't want to make like a Jumanji comparison, but it's like if you played a board game and it came to light, like think something you've experienced so closely and then it really exists out there in the public. Oh, yeah. We definitely uh, have enjoyed to watching some of the first guests. We are now in previews having guests come off the attraction (laughs) and we just listen. We're so creepy. We just listen. Like, what are they thinking? What they like? Um, 
great, great. I can't, I can't imagine anybody coming off that ride being like, eh. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's been great. How do you go about translating, you know, a decades old franchise as well as new characters into an experience that really honors Jurassic Park and Jurassic World's entire legacy? I am uh, very much a Jurassic fan. I, most of this team is hugely dinosaur fans. Uh, this is such an uh, instrumental franchise to so many of us here. And so, you know, we did feel definitely the weight of that. And I think we really have enjoyed the spot we found where specifically at Islands of Adventure, guests can experience the best of the Jurassic franchise, which is so cool. Like, you get that Jurassic World moment with Velocicoaster. You get the Jurassic Park moment. You feel like you're there. So really being able to exist on this wider timeline of both Jurassic Park and Jurassic World is something we've really enjoyed kind of playing with. And, you know, at the end of the day, people just want more dinosaurs. So uh, also loving the fact that we got to imbue a little bit more dinosaur into our Islands of Adventure. (laughs) That's so true. At the end of the day, we do just want more dinosaurs. That's all anyone wants. You know, you'd think you'd think we learned something from the many, many films about this, but no, we still want more dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. It is funny, like approaching this ride, having seen Jurassic World, like you know, like dinosaurs in a theme park didn't end so well, and yet I'm like, get get me on that coaster, get me with the dinosaurs. I want more dinosaurs. I want more of it. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's been great here because on this attraction, you know, we're trying to set up uh, that this is such a a terrible idea. Um, But, you know, you at the end of the day, the true thing that goes wrong on this attraction is that you decided to get on a roller coaster in a raptor paddock. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's definitely (laughs) hitting the mark there. Uh, It doesn't get much more thrilling than that. It's so meta if you like actually sit down and think about it that you almost can't. I mean, I'm sure you had a few headaches planning this out, being like, wait, but the movie teaches us bad idea. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. Can you tell us more about the philosophy of the coaster and kind of generally what guests can expect? Uh, Yeah. So I think for us, philosophy wise, we're really, again, playing with the thrills, the teeth, the environment as our kind of design philosophies. But then there's, of course, the philosophy of the greater Jurassic franchise, which is this man versus nature uh, and these displays of power even through our attraction. So you've got the corporate power of InGen Jurassic World as you're walking up to this raptor research facility all about strength all about the power and uh really the ride culminates in the power of nature and the fact that this is unpredictable and yeah it's a crazy 70 mile per hour 155 foot tall multiple inversion adventure from there it's so funny to hear you describe the essence of the ride as man versus nature when like that a whole different layer is happening on top of it of us as humans being like this is this is a doozy of a coaster No, we really had so much fun, again, playing with the natural anxieties. Uh, And I know me, uh, when I'm waiting in line for a coaster, like each step towards the load station, I'm getting more anxious. And then we layer the anxiety of the raptors as well on top of that natural anxiety. So uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in our queue. I feel like natural anxiety could be my bio at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. What is it like for you to to work on an attraction like this that not only changes that area of the park, but really kind of shifts the whole park as a whole because it is such a kinetic ride and you can see it from so many different locations that it pulls focus in from other lands that you usually wouldn't be pulled from? Oh, Velocicoaster is a presence for sure. The second you enter Islands of Adventure, uh, we really did, and, and one of our kind of very first sessions with uh, our leadership was, okay, this ride is being 
placed in 20 years of beautiful islands of adventure, how do we make this skyline better, elevate it, not take away from it? So really thoughtful consideration went into balancing the view of Hogwarts Castle. Our top hat balances it beautifully, frames the Discovery Center, which has always been this kind of central focus point of islands of adventure. So um, really the team focused on that and really uh, that drove a lot of our early layout studies was making sure that we had this beautiful epic view, but that our lands of Islands of Adventure were still immersive. So many of the lands at Islands of Adventure, you cannot see a uh, Velocicoaster until there she is. <laughs> this, this sounds like too much work. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> oh, it's so worth it. But like even seeing photos of it, I'm like, no offense. I'm like, glad that wasn't my job because it seems real hard to figure out like everything is so carefully positioned on top of having to build this huge ride in all of its aspects and the storytelling behind it. Like it's so many layers of work. No, and it, it really is paying off and seeing, you know, the layers of storytelling from a Jurassic franchise standpoint, the the layers of thought that went into the ride experience, the the G-forces that people are feeling on the attraction. And then, yeah, even just the placement. Uh, truly, uh, no uh, stone was left unturned as far as our development and making this as excellent as it could be. Oh, my God. Uh, what was the most rewarding part of the experience for you? Uh, I think for me, it's it's been this has been an interesting year for everyone. And I think for all of us on this team, it was really great having something to like rally behind. But then we also had this really amazing moment and we have over the last couple of weeks of seeing the first guests experience the attraction and realizing that really all of Orlando was rooting for us as well. And sometimes, you know, fans from around the world have been watching this attraction come together, see the progress over the last year when a lot of people felt really stagnant. And those sort of uh, conversations we're having with people and hearing from people uh, you know, I'm just really grateful that uh, people are able to come out now uh, and feel safe coming and visiting and, and letting off some steam and screaming a bit. Oh, my God. Uh, is there any detail of the queue or the attraction that someone might miss on the first few rides, but should definitely keep an eye out for in the future? Oh, my goodness. There are actually a lot. <laughs> so again, to the same point of your 70 miles per hour coaster. So first and foremost, just have fun. But there are a lot of really cool little beautiful Easter eggs out on the attraction, even uh, literal Easter eggs. If you, uh, as you're coming out of our first inversion, if you look up, which is actually down because you're upside down, uh, you can see a little disrupted uh, nest of Tranodon eggs. So again, even at Jurassic World, life is finding a way. And our queue, our attraction is full of those little moments because we know the Jurassic fans, we love those little details. So I'm excited as people stumble on more and more. This is just personal curiosity, but is was there any, did storytelling at all go into the decision to make it uh, not an overhead restraint, but a waste restraint? Because when I first saw the coaster, I was like, oh, I'm definitely sticking my head through an overhead thing. And then the shock of finding out it's not that, and I'm a little more nervous because of it, because I got nothing to hold on to over my head. Uh, <laughs> if that, like, did that play in at any point, or is that just coaster design? No, it's, it's again, this perfect algorithm of the thrills, the teeth, the environment. Uh, I think for us, the, the lap bar was so important and things that uh, just by viewing the coaster, you might not realize, but the seat is high up. Like you kind of have to step up into the seat. So your feet are also swinging on this attraction. So there's just all these layers of kind of vulnerability. But again, the perfect safety of this in-gen designed vehicle out in this Raptor paddock. So um, yeah, it's all very intentional and all adding to the thrill of being out there in the Raptor paddock. Oh, my God. Do you have any uh, any philosophy for people who, somewhat like myself, might be scared to go on? <laughs> and unlike me, 
may not be forced to. Okay, Carly, you got to be cool. I, I am a little afraid of coasters as well. Uh, when I was first working on this coaster, I was like, I can do this. This is going to be fine. This is fine. Um, I think with this attraction, we found somehow this like really cool sweet spot of like, you don't even have time to think about it. There's no lift hill. There's no contemplating. By the time you realize you're in the top hat, you're just getting this beautiful view. You don't, you're like, oh, I'm here. Um, it is all so fast. And I think, um, yes, once you can, once your uh, butt is in that seat from there on out, just have fun. I am so excited to go on it, but I know even talking to friends, we're all like, can't wait. Very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think have a good group of friends, have a good support system. And, uh, trust me, uh, if you, you can make it happen. When you're making this type of stuff, I have to assume you're just like a, like a little, you're just a little nervous until people actually ride it to just make sure it matches up exactly as you thought it would. And it seems like this one maybe paid off more just because I've only seen photos and videos of the Mosasaurus roll, which I, when I say that, it sounds like I'm ordering something embarrassing at a sushi restaurant. <laughs> but the Mosasaurus roll, like, just I can't imagine what that's like in real life and how that must resonate so much bigger and wilder in real life than it did when planning it. Oh, absolutely. It's funny. Uh, Greg Hall and I were actually just talking and it's like, man, remember when we like put this all out and we're like teeth plus thrills plus environment uh, and seeing now that this, you know, big algorithm actually did return this result and people are seeing it and people are feeling it and it's there. It, it is extremely gratifying. And again, I think the anxiety of being a creative is always is what ends up out there going to look like what was on the sheet of paper and we're just so thrilled and so happy that we were able to really, really pull this thing off and deliver in a way that our guests above and beyond, honestly, above and beyond. The guest reaction is like way through the roof of what we were expecting. And that's just the best possible feeling. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with FrameBridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, and even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer. And it thrills me to no end that because of FrameBridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. FrameBridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to FrameBridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's FrameBridge.com. 
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Carly, uh, this is Carson. I was doing some binging of the podcast before season two started. Um, and in one of the episodes that I binged, you had recommended the Stalling podcast about Disney bathrooms. So a couple weeks ago, I went back and watched that podcast, or well, listened to that podcast, I guess. And one of the things they mentioned has been haunting me ever since. They mentioned uh, the old versions of Epcot, of the Spaceship Earth and Epcot, um, some of the show scenes were still there, just, like, behind curtains and stuff. Um, and I, you know, never saw some of the older versions of Epcot, of, you know, of Epcot and of Spaceship Earth. So I went back and, like, watched the videos, and, like, I can't tell if it could still be there or not. So I was just wondering if you could put this to rest, if this is something I don't need to let haunt me anymore, or if this is something that I absolutely should be haunted by. Because something about the idea of old animatronics just kind of, looming behind curtains, like, staring into the darkness at me. Well, I'm cuddling. So, thanks. I hope you're having a great week. Bye. Wow. I'm actually kind of shocked that we haven't discussed this yet. So, I thank Stallings hosts, Allison and Malia, for bringing it up. But essentially... Yeah, I've always kind of heard this to be true. I can't remember where I first heard it or where those rumors sort of came from. But just to be on the safe side, I asked a couple people just to fact check, just to be sure before I spoke out of turn. And it ends up, yep, 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 yep. There are truly ghosts of old rides past hiding, hiding just beyond what you can see. There doesn't appear to be just like a kind of nightmare museum of audio animatronic figures back there, but there is apparently loads of other stuff. I'm told some of the old scenes are just back there, just covered in tarps, especially in the darker scenes. They're just hiding in plain sight. Now, one person told me, if you turn around as your spaceship Earth vehicle, your car is turning backwards, you can easily see the outline of the old space station that's been draped over in black. Another person told me that there are actually more interesting things behind the show scenes than other scenes, which I honestly, I don't think I could share what they told me publicly, but let's just say... I'm now very interested to see if you were to walk through one specific scene and use an exterior access point, would you just be like waving high from the side of Spaceship Earth? Like, would you just be popped out like, hello, travelers? I I don't know. But let's just say the, uh, uh, yeah, I'll say it. Let's just say the extra wigs and costumes for the ride are actually housed somewhere within the ride. So if you're very eagle-eyed at a certain point of the ride on the right-hand side, you just might catch a glimpse of them. 
That's all I'll say for now. That's all I'll say. But yeah, 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 yeah. It, it It's there. Stuff's there. Stuff's hiding there. Stuff's hiding there. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for calling. Hi, Carly. This is Melanie calling from South Florida and I am a Walt Disney World local. However, I am going to Hershey Park for the first time this summer. I've never been. I'm so, so excited and I know the lay down with all the eats in Disney World. However, I do not know what to eat, what to expect, what are the must-dos for Hershey Park, and I'm a little lost. So I don't know if you've been or if you can scope out some eats for me and let me know what to eat. I cannot wait to stuff my face in Hershey, and I want to make sure it's the best of the best. Thanks, Carly. Bye. Ooh, you're going to the chocolate-inspired theme park capital of the world. I th- I think, I mean, there wouldn't be another with that title, right? I can assign it. I think that's fine. Though I do kind of wish, this is a tangent, but I do kind of wish Cadbury had an egg-themed park. You know, like little egg spinner rides? Oh, that would be so sick. Anyway, I will I will stay focused. When it comes to Hershey Park in Hershey, Pennsylvania, I myself have not yet been. But Thankfully, I know someone who's eaten quite literally every popular item they sell there, Tess Komen. If you're not familiar with Tess's work for Delish, one of my favorite things she does there are these ultimate food challenge videos where she eats her way through entire theme parks in one day. She's done a ton of them for Disney and Universal, but she also did one for Hershey Park, making her the dream teammate to tag in for this. I passed her question along and she was so kind as to send in a hit list of recommendations for you. Here's what she said. So if I had to do Hershey Park all over again... I divisive, but my opinion is that I would actually stay away from just about everything sweet. I would head right to the Overlook food court. I would get the pierogies, which are covered in kielbasa and cheese and like smothered onions. They're fantastic. I would go to Tower Fries. I would get Buffalo Ranch chicken dip fries. Um, I would share them with 10 of my closest friends as they could really like feed a whole pack of people. I would go to the pretzel house. I would actually get, okay, this is kind of, they're sweet involved, but I would get their hand-rolled like OG salted pretzels. I would get a cinnamon sugar pretzel. I would just go in one bite at the same time of each. Um, That was really a fantastic bite. If I had to choose a chocolate thing, which (laughs) truthfully I don't want to, um, I would probably head back to Simply Chocolate and get one of those king size freak shakes. Um, I mean, what else is there to say? It just, it's very large and there's a lot going on in it. But yeah, that is my official opinion. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not what I expected. Buffalo ranch, chicken dip fries, pierogies, skipping most of the chocolate. This is why Tess is the best. She's honest and hilarious. You have to watch her videos for Delish to see what treats she recommends firsthand, which is why I would also add the cookie s'more to that list. It looks incredible. And she said you can pick a candy to put inside. Oh, oh, I want one of those so bad right now. Thank you again so much, Tess, for letting us know what to eat there and have so much fun on your trip. (laughs) 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. That's our show! Thank you all for listening, and thank you so much to our special guest, Shelby. You can find her very fun feed on Instagram at ShelbyNEA, or go ride Velocicoaster and see everything she created come to life. Thank you also to Tess Komen for tipping us off about Hershey Park pierogies. You can find her work in Delicious Magazine and on Delicious website and YouTube channel. Follow her on Instagram at Tess Komen, spelled Tess, T-E-S-S-K-O-M-A-N. If you want your questions answered, concerns heard, or observations known, give us a call at 747churros. Or if you prefer leaving a voice note for us, send it over to 747churros at gmail.com as an attachment. I get it. The voicemail pressure is real. So if you want to send it over that way, totally cool by me. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to Emily Ann 1216, Heather and Clovis, and Sea Lols for your lovely notes and wonderful reviews. If you want to be even more amused, if you crave it, a new tier of amusing, join our Patreon. Five bucks a month will get you weekly newsletters and mini podcast episodes, a monthly zine, and loads of joy guaranteed. Find us at patreon.com slash Carly And a very special thank you to recent patrons, Michael, Casey, Todd, Jennifer, Katie, Kimberly, John, Lauren, Annabelle, Anissa, and Elizabeth. Thank you all for being part of our little corner of even more amusing stuff. Follow me on social media at Carly Wiesel on Twitter and Instagram for fun theme park shenanigans, especially right now. I am in the parks. It is happening. Very Amusing is edited extraordinarily by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hey, sweetie, it's Mom. I just wanted you to know I did watch all three Avenger movies that you suggested I watch, and they were all great. But then I heard today's podcast, and I'm still it's a little over my head. So you've got lots of explaining to do. You'll have to talk to me like you would tell any three-year-old what it's about, and then I'll get it. Uh, I do like the callers that called in, especially the one with Wisconsin Dells. You were so right. It is 100% Las Vegas for kids. So bring lots of cash. Anyway, honey, it was a great podcast, and I must—I had a lot of fun recording with you at your house. I really love that. I'm sorry we couldn't make it longer, but we will next time. I love you. Another great week. Call me this weekend. Mom, love you.